0: You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime.
1: got here is failure to communicate some men you just can't reach so you get what we had here last week which is the way he wants well he gets it i don't like it any more than you men for me this is one of the most memorable quotes of my youth as one of my favorite movies was and still is cool hand luke it was listed as the 11th most famous quote by the american film institute The film, released in 61, stars the screen legend Paul Newman. At the time, I was already a big Newman fan, having enjoyed some of his other movies on Saturday afternoons with my old man. Tonight, we're going to discuss three of his movies, which rank very high in my top 100 movie list. The Hustler, Cool Hand Luke, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Do you remember your introduction to Newman films?
0: See, it's interesting because for years, that quote from Cool Hand Luke... I always knew it as the intro to a Guns N' Roses, Roses song. Guns N' Roses, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until, you know, later on, like when we reached high school and like a lot of my classes, we watched classic films. And uh, what was it? we watched Cool Hand Luke and uh, Long Hot Summer, which was when, which was really my introduction to Newman. Right.
1: Yeah, I, see, I'd i seen the movie before the Guns N' Roses song. So when that
0: came out, it was like, oh, I like that. (laughs) You've got me as a fan. I don't care if you guys suck. (laughs) So, so, yeah. Even now, like when I watch the movie, I have like the whistling on the intro of that song in the back of my head when he gives that speech.
1: Now, we're going to start with The Hustler. And unlike other films we discuss, we're not going to disgrace a Newman film by discussing the Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic scores. There's some things you simply do not do. The Hustler came out in 1961. It was directed by Robert uh, Rosen, and it's based on a novel by Walter S. Tevis, which I actually i have got to get my hands on that because I'd love to read it. It's the story of Fast Eddie Felsen, who is an up-and-coming pool hustler with his sights set on beating the legend of the time, who is Minnesota Fats. The story starts very well with Eddie and his manager, Charlie Burns, who are just doing some small time hustles. And it leads directly into the challenge with Minnesota Fats. And it's at that point that you realize if you're actually analyzing the story and the pacing and what's going on, because it happens so quickly, you realize that that challenge is not what the movie's about. And I really dug that a lot, even back then when I was younger watching it.
0: Yeah, I remember first viewing of this film. And right there, like 20 minutes into the movie, you have the big showdown. And you're like, well, it, my initial thinking was, man, the entire movie is going to be this pull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's, it was given so much weight and importance in the film that, yeah, it's not until you reach the end where you realize, honestly, just how unimportant it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because the the majority of the the film from that point on is not even playing pool. I mean, certainly there's little games here and there and whatnot, but it's about the character development that Felson goes through, which ties right into when the hustler Burt Gordon tells him that he has no character and that he's a loser, and so you get this fantastic dramatic story that's stuck in the middle of this, well, it is considered a sports film. And, and again, it's because of the strength of the actors and what they're able to portray. And of course, the strength of the writing and the story, you have such a powerful story that is still because of the pool angle, (laughs) no pun intended, such a damn cool story. It just comes across so, so fun to watch, even though you're watching a, a, a relationship that is so flawed and ultimately doomed that it, it should be painful to watch. And yet you're still, you still want to keep watching to get to that
0: redemption part at the end. It's still as many times as i've seen this film it's still uncomfortable for me like the early parts right. with uh, felson and sarah where you know he really is trying to hustle her and it's just, it's so awkward and like i wonder how this played back in the 60s to audiences because you know relationships were portrayed somewhat differently at the time but like even especially now you look back and it's it's so uncomfortable to watch and then once you get past that you you realize the development in that relationship there—it's, it's just funny looking back at it. You know, in twenty fourteen. Well, the thing too is that Piper Laurie did such an amazing job
1: playing Sarah Packard. So you have this woman who who's a drunk, and is still—you can tell—is still intelligent, still flawed in many regards, but trying to be something better and it's not until eddie has his thumbs broken that you actually see that it's the pool hustling that's holding them back because at that point they're happy they're building Mm -hmm. on something and they're actually happy to the point of her refusing a drink and them just doing things together and then it's once he takes the cast off and you see that look in her face that look of disappointment when he shows up at the door and it's again you you appreciate the the weight of what is going on in that relationship and how much the hustling that he does and and feels he must do weighs down that relationship
0: yeah absolutely it's it's phenomenally well played
1: yeah so of course the the movie like we said starts off with this marathon pool match between Fast Eddie Felsen and Minnesota Fats. The, um, a lot of the shots, most of the shots actually, were done by the actors as well. Minnesota Fats, of course, played masterfully by Jackie Gleason. And th- it was probably before your time. Well, it was obviously before your time, but I don't even know if you would have been watching the reruns. But when I was a kid, yes, it was before my time as well, <laughs> but not so much that they didn't run the reruns all the time. We watched The Honeymooners All the time.
0: Uh, Absolutely. So my my mom was pretty much the TV was constantly tuned to Nick at night. Right. So Honeymooners, I Love Lucy, that was all a huge part of my childhood. Awesome.
1: Yeah. So here you had uh, Jackie Gleason playing such a different character than what we'd seen in The Honeymooners. And he's not loud and brash and obnoxious. He's very quiet very controlled, and he plays the character beautifully.
0: Yeah. One of those performances that dominates the room without saying a word.
1: Yeah, and he was only on screen for something like 20 minutes. And and it's funny because it reminds me of other key roles, ironically, which Newman went on to do later on as well, taking much smaller roles but very important roles. Mm-hmm. And we've seen other actors like, you know, um, um, uh, uh, Ah Jack Nicholson doing as well. And and things like that. So, Jackie Gleason was phenomenal. And he actually was a hell of a pool player himself. So, the shots are quite obviously him doing it. Ironically, Newman, they said, had never even held a cue before this show. And he replaced his dining room table with a pool table before they started filming so that he could practice all the time so that he could actually be doing the shots
0: himself. It's like when I was younger and when it was more popular, there used to be a lot of the uh, trick shot competitions on like ESPN2 and never failed like the very first shot they would put up there because it was basically a glorified game of horse when you're playing pool. Mm -hmm. The very first shot of every match was always the hustler shot. Yeah. The one with him with the the two balls against the rail and banking it into the opposite corner. (laughs)
1: It was done by an actual, the pool champ around that time mm-hmm. is who did that shot. I can't remember yeah, his name. Willie Musconi. Musconi. Yeah, right. So, see, I actually spent a lot of time in a pool hole in my tur- teens and very early 20s up until i i met my wife and even then we were together in the pool hall all the time and I, for a long time i didn't have a car i bought a car when i was 17 but I, even then i only had it for about a year or two and i couldn't afford it and i used to bike before my knees were shot and i used to bike from the small village i was in and go for a good 45 minutes biking to get to the pool hall every day play pool for hours and then bike home to my folks house. And I continued doing that. Even again, when my wife and I were first together, then we, we were playing all the time down there too. There's something about the, the game of pool that appeals to me so much. And so that's another reason why when this, when I saw this film first, it just resonated with me. And then again, what I like is that the story is so powerful they didn't just rely on this pool hustling movie. The story is so powerful that then as someone who enjoys reading a lot and writing and whatnot and appreciating stories, it just, again, quickly became a, a favorite of mine from then on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's probably one of my favorite uh, Newman films. Like, If I were to rank them, Hustler would probably be at the top for me. Yeah yeah it's it's
1: i am not gonna bother going too too much in because we are covering two of the movies as well it's one of those if you haven't seen it you you owe it to yourself to to buy this movie and and watch it. It is that phenomenally done and it it still works today it's it's because the story. Yeah, I mean, we're not seeing many pool hustlers anymore, for sure, but <laughs> the story is so profound and relatable that it still is something that works today watching it. So definitely watch it. It is a phenomenal film. Hmm. Ironically, too, something I didn't know, Piper Laurie didn't do anything after this until she played Carrie's mother in 76. Wow. How did that happen? She actually, she became a mother and she spent all of her time raising well, okay. her kid. And, uh, and so, that's, that's yeah. That's acceptable. <laughs> so went from Oscar. I don't know if she won the Oscar for The Hustler, but she was nominated, I believe, and then nominated again for Carrie's Mother. It's like, you know how to pick your roles. I'll give you that, woman. <laughs> I don't think Hustler actually won anything. I know it was nominated yeah, it for was about nominated everything. Yeah, was nominated for a lot. Yeah, and then it didn't. So, again, let's move on from there now to Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke was directed by Stuart Rosenberg, and it's also based on a novel by Don Pierce, who actually served two years on a on a chain gang for safe breaking, and then wrote this novel. Again, another novel I really have to get my hands on. Now, Cool Hand Luke was a movie that attracted a lot of big actors, but also up and coming actors who would later go on to become big stars. I mean. Dennis Hopper plays a very small role in this and went on obviously to do a hell of a lot more Wayne Rogers who went on to play trapper in mash is in this and actually has a fairly big role and then we have uh, of course George Kennedy as dragline and then of course Paul Newman as Luke now this is this ranks even higher for me than hustler it it has one of the most iconic starting scenes, in my opinion, pretty much ever of Luke cutting the heads off the parking meters. It's one of those things where I so clearly remember watching that on a Sunday afternoon and just laughing because you're sitting there going, what in the hell is he doing? And you find out later from a little quip that there's something more behind that story. We never really find out what it is, but there's something there. And go he ahead, had some time to kill. Yeah, really. And Newman is one of those type of actors who is so charismatic in in anything that he does. And it's not just the baby blues that the women fawn over. It's that that smile that he has and when he's playing that drunk just staggering about having drinks of beer while he is cutting the heads off parking meters. He is immediately someone that you want to know more about. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So you find out later as you see him in prison and dealing with the various people there, obviously an intelligent person, but someone that just has such a hard time fitting in. And this is something that you see throughout the film, not just in his interactions with everybody, but also in, in in jail, the other inmates. But when he's having that profoundly impactful moment with his mother, when she comes to visit him as well, and then when he's in church and he's praying to God, you're, you're finding out again how he is just the type of person that he is... It's, it's like he's not comfortable in his skin, he's, well, not necessarily in his skin, but with other people. And he goes from being the person that everybody wants to be around and idolize in the prison to the point of them posing him like Christ on the crucifixion after he's eaten all the eggs, which was done on purpose. Yeah. The imagery is
0: not very subtle. <laughs>
1: yeah, not at all. And then him fighting against that, When he escapes and is brought back and he just wants people to get off of him and leave him alone. It's just he has such a hard time
0: integrating himself into any sort of society. Yeah, and it's one of those things where through that performance, you know there's so much more to this character that's not being shown on the film. And that's an incredible feat for an actor to perform.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this, again, this is one of those movies that, especially if you watch it when you are in your teens, it's a movie that you can relate to because most teens have that difficulty with connections, with being, you know, understanding relationships with other people and whatnot. Not everybody is, you know, the cool kid in the, the in the group. So it's something that you can relate to on that level. And, of course, a lot of people can relate to it as adults as well. But it's just when you then start kind of analyzing it more as you've watched it more and more, you pick up on so many little things that you you wouldn't otherwise. And, and some of it is you realize that that's his character, certainly. But then when you really watch the scene with the um with his mother now when i saw it i was i was young when i saw it but then again i've watched it over and over over the years but i've always just remembered the moments with his mother because they're so very well done so his mother goes to visit him while he's in prison she stays in this makeshift truck bed kind of thing where she can lay down cuz she is passing away and so He is just basically standing there talking to her. And you find out that this is not your typical mother. She is got, she's an odd character as well, (laughs) but a hell of a lovable one, but an odd character as well. So you know that, okay, some of that got passed down to him, obviously, but in watching it again, now, what actually really struck me so much more was the ever so brief interaction with the brother who's there because she's saying how she's leaving the house to him and Luke is not giving her a hard time about that and saying it's obvious he's taking care of you and whatever he he deserves it. But it's just that little bit of an interaction that he has where first he's talking to his nephew about prison and the the, the, the chains that he has on. But then when the brother hands him the banjo and says, there, now you've got no reason to come back. It's like, wow, like in one freaking line, you've just cemented a lot of Luke's personality right there for us to, to go
0: off of. Absolutely.
1: So, and then of course you have all of these little weird little moments in prison. They make prison sound a lot more fun (laughs) than I'm sure it is.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, there's some hardship there, but you you do have the fun with the eggs. As somebody who lives near where this prison was supposed to be, there is nothing fun about spending five minutes working in the sun, let alone (laughs) the amount of time they do. Yeah, and
1: when you talk about strong performances, I mean, obviously Newman has a freaking brilliant performance with a very wide range of emotions in there as well, but you have, like, let's look at George Kennedy who plays Dragline. Oh my God. Who is initially the tough guy who later turns into the big dog from the bunny cartoons it's it's guess my guess my around Newman and you see that that desperation is in all of the inmates even the ones that are supposed to,
0: supposedly being the leaders in there yeah, for me the best part of that performance was after the two of them had escaped near the end and they're in like the apple orchard or whatever yeah and dragline is like oh come on you know we'll go back to my place isn't that and that's where you realize like as you said, you know, the character changed over the course of the film, but you compare him there to at the beginning and see that, you know, this guy's damaged. Like yeah. he's not all there. And there's and you, you start to feel really sorry for Dragline as like the the one thing that he's holding on to at this point is Luke. And he's like he's like a giant child in these scenes. And it's so phenomenally well done that it changes your entire perception of that character and really makes you look back at him over the course of the last two hours.
1: We've seen other movies where you you see how some men are just more comfortable in prison and that structured life and they can live within that and sometimes be different types of people than they would be in outside prison. And we've seen that done actually quite well in some films. And here you have, again, George Kennedy doing it where initially you have that that very strong persona in prison of him running. And you see it melting away. I mean, you you have the powerful fight scene between him and Luke... Where Luke will simply not give up, but that's the kind of stubborn character Mm -hmm. he is, doesn't know better. And it's at that moment that you see Dragline essentially warming up to him and realizing that, you know, he's never going to beat him and that this is actually a strong person. He's mistaking stubbornness for strength, but in a pinch it works. And then you see that shift during the card hand there where it's like, okay, you're my buddy now, and then over time, it shifts over, and it's Luke who's the the one who's leading. So, again, this was phenomenally acted by everybody. Strother Martin, who plays the captain who delivers that line, I quoted at the top of the show, does such a great job. He actually appears in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as well, which we'll get to in a minute. Was there any parting thoughts you had for this one? No, I think you summed
0: up uh, a lot of it pretty well.
1: Originally, this was actually Jack Lemmon looked at this role and was going to play it, but he felt that Newman would do a better job, so instead he co-produced the film. And Newman was actually set to play in The Hustler as well, which I thought was kind of ironic. I just can't
0: envision an actor going, you know, okay, like, you gave me the role, but I think it would be better for somebody else. Like, I just can't wrap my head around that.
1: Well, he's making money. If his production company is doing it and it's making money, hey – money's money and it's not like Newman or uh, Lemon was hurting for movie choices either
0: i know it it makes sense just especially you know from what we see of movie stars these days like <laughs> i can't imagine any of them turning down yeah, a starring role for anything
1: it's different now it's a lot harder for actors now than back then i'm i'm certain it was hard then but again now is way different i mean we're seeing now where we're seeing actors like Lawrence Fishburne and things doing TV roles because there's just not enough for them to choose from for, for movie roles. So Mm -hmm. that's, it's different. And ironically, Jack Lemon turned down the role for Butch. And Butch Cassidy as well, because of a scheduling conflict with the odd couple. And what I think is funny about this coincidence, and I mean, there's always these kind of things that you read about different actors bouncing around roles, whether they accept it or not. But what I think is funny is that for the longest time, when we looked at Lemon, we didn't see many dramatic roles. There were a few, but not too many. And it was mainly comedic roles. We know he can do the dramatic roles because we saw them early on. And then especially later on, I mean, you watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and it's like, Holy crap. Why have you been doing comedy all this time? <laughs> and you have to wonder what his path would have been like. Had he chosen to do more of these dramatic roles instead? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. And of the three, this is by far my favorite. This was the movie that I adored. We used to watch a lot of Westerns on Sunday afternoons, my old man and I, and this was just one that it, it does everything. Well. well. I shouldn't say everything. I have one little beef with it, but other than that, everything well. And it was the first pairing of Newman with Robert Redford. Now this was the breakthrough film for Robert Redford and One of these days we're going to cover him on this show as well because I have (laughs) so much respect for everything he's done. But from the get-go, from the first scene you see Newman and Redford together, it was as if they were meant to act together. There's just that immediate chemistry. And it's funny because initially Steve McQueen was going to be playing Butch – or Sundance Kid. And – Newman was going to be playing Butch Cassidy. Initially, the film was the Sundance Kid and Butch Cassidy because of their the credits, and they changed it later once Steve McQueen
0: left and Robert Redford was brought in. That would have been hilarious for completely separate reasons because Newman and McQueen yeah. hated each other. <laughs> it would have been interesting to see, but again, it's
1: the 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 Newman and Redford just worked so well. And we saw that again in the sting in 73. Yeah. Uh, if we had more time, we'd cover that as well. I, we might just do an episode in and of itself just for that one. Cause I got to love that movie. so Personally, much well. I
0: prefer the Sting. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm.
1: We'll cover it in another episode for sure. Because it is, I actually took it out of my collection and put it by the TV. <laughs> if there was time to watch it before this recording, I was going to, but I didn't have time to watch it again. But Butch, I do still prefer Butch Cassidy in The Sundance Kid. It's Again, it's partially a love of Westerns, partially because of the relationship of the characters as well. I like the character of Butch and I like the character of Sundance a lot. And they played them. It, it was one of those, they were made to play these roles kind of thing.
0: No, I absolutely agree with you there. This, for me personally, I feel The Sting itself is just a better made overall movie than right. Butch and Sundance. right Yeah. Uh again i like them both so much that i'm not gonna yeah there's there's things about butch and sundance that just bug me like the bits with redford and newman are all-time greats it's the weird things they do in between like the the bicycle scene or like the weird you know traveling montage it it just takes me out of the overall film
1: for me yes and no because i'm seeing it as a western film and not just a regular movie, the the, the the montage that they did to New York and then making their way to Bolivia, I actually didn't mind it. It fit into that old-style Western feel. They even at that point shifted to sepia tones as they did at the start of the movie so that you had that old Western style feel. And then when you read up a little bit more about it, you find out that the reason for that was because they were initially going to be using the same set as uh, Hello Dolly was filmed being filmed right beside them. So they were going to use a set and then found out later that the director didn't want to let them use the set. They wanted to, the set to be kept a secret. So then they had to figure out a way around that. And then they worked with the, the pictures. Now, even without knowing that I still actually liked that picture scene and the bike scene. I thought the bike scene was interesting and I, I enjoyed it because it added the brevity that was needed. Plus again, it's, it's Newman. So it works, but it also really highlighted the relationship between these three people, the three people, of course, being Newman, Redford and Catherine Ross, who played at a place who was, Redford's girlfriend, but I mean, while she wasn't sleeping with Luke, she was still or not actually, Luke <laughs> we still talking about the old one uh, with Butch, she, I mean it was still a relationship that the three of them had together, a very powerful one as well, and so seeing her intimate not, you know, making out or anything like that but the, the bike ride is still intimate and the laughing together and everything, it showed the dynamics of the relationships between the characters, because with her and Redford, it was very sensual, sexual, exciting, and Redford was much more stoic with her it 's a soon as you start complaining you 're gone i 'm dropping you kind of thing and then with Newman, it was what she actually probably deserved much. Some some laughing, some being able to talk on an intelligent ba- basis, and and things like that. So I actually like those scenes a lot.
0: From a storytelling standpoint, I can't disagree. It's just the overall tone. Like, know, it's just it's a little too awkward for me. The only thing that I found awkward was the soundtrack at
1: times. Now, yes, it's of the time. We're looking at sixty nine, so the music's going to be different. But I felt that the soundtrack didn't always work properly. I mean, you had scenes where the music, they purposely made it light, but to me, it didn't fit. It didn't, it's like you're, you're making a mockery of this instead of, you know, working with it properly—that was the only thing that ever bothered me. Not all of the songs; some of the songs I really, really like a lot, but some of them, it's like, oh my god, this was <laughs> this was wrong. This was bad, and you can't just blame it on the time because
0: there's movies of that time where the music is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back quickly to that opening scene you were talking about, where it was sepia toned, and not just sepia tone, but like the actual cinematography—you know, more shadowy, yeah. different camera angles, the way it's shot. Is portraying it as a much more serious, like, you know, legitimate Western movie and the way that it plays with that expectation that it sets up because you, just visually you're expecting one type of movie from that opening scene. But of course you have Newman and Redford as, you know, their characters and then the switch to the, the more traditional Full colorized version. I just really like how it plays with your expectations and the way that it makes you realize, okay, this isn't going to be your traditional western action film. I really like the way that opening scene fit in with the rest.
1: Yeah, yeah. I again, I really dug it. What's funny is that we were just watching this the other day, the wife and I, and we were a good halfway through before the wife says. I didn't even notice when they changed to color. When did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> was it, that was after the first scene. <laughs> and then they switched over. Sure, okay, well, it was well done because I did not even notice. <laughs> but what's funny is that for me, looking at the film and remembering it from when I watched it you know, many years ago, I've watched it over the t- over the years quite a bit, but as with many people, when you have a memory of it, it tends to be the first time you watch the kind of thing. And for me, It was those very early years watching it on TV with the old man. And what I remember, what I remember is all in sepia. I don't remember the color scenes. I remember, even if I'm thinking about the rest of the show, I'm remembering it in those Western sepia tones. And I love that a movie is able to do that. So the movie of course is about Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, Butch was the leader of the Hole in the Wall gang and they used to rob trains and banks. Now this was around the time where they were really putting a stop to that kind of thing and making it <laughs> a lot harder which you find out immediately is Butch is going and staking out a bank and uh, and delivers that great line of of the uh, it's a small price to pay for for beauty kind of thing when they they've changed the bank up. But they decide to hit the same train going both ways, figuring that nobody's ever done that. They'll definitely have more money on the way back. But it's on the way back. And it's on the way back where he blows up the safe. <laughs> Redford looks at him and says, you think you used enough dynamite there, Butch? And, uh, and that's when the hired posse comes out and starts tracking them. It doesn't take long for the action to start in this film. I mean, you have a few scenes here and there that are action-packed, but the true action in the film, the chase scene, which lasts for so long in the movie, it happens fairly early. And basically, that's what leads the two characters, because it's always just been Butch and Sundance. The Hole in the Wall gang can basically get shot. It doesn't really matter to them they head off to Bolivia, which is, which is grand idea that there's money to be made there. And so they head to Bolivia to go rob banks there. So you have these fantastic scenes going through the countryside over hills and rock, rock faces and everything with this posse, with the the native tracker who is going to can follow them everywhere. And, Leads them right to Bolivia. That's a one hell of a tracker. <laughs> but there's so many scenes there between the two of them, which again, I mean, Redford plays such a stoic character, barely talking. They even made the joke about that, about him being naturally blabby. Uh, but there's so many scenes between the two of them that are just gold let alone the jumping off the cliff face
0: of course it's so iconic you can't but everything
1: every scene between the two of them is is gold in my opinion and who are these guys yeah (laughs) and then of course get to bolivia and that's where redford starts to really shine that is
0: probably my favorite single scene in the entire movie is that train station
1: yeah when they get to the train station and he just drops the bags (laughs) walks over and there might be people who come for hundreds of miles to look at this to see (laughs) that is uh, Redford at his best that was phenomenal yeah and of course then they start robbing banks in Bolivia eventually attract the attention of Bolivia (laughs) everybody's out (laughs) to get them and then they decide to go straight sorry you were going to say
0: no, it, we'll come back to it later.
1: They decide to go straight. And, and that firefight at the end, of course, which is one of the most iconic scenes, again, in, in cinema, where you have the entire Bolivian army come down for two guys.
0: That's exactly what I was going to mention. Like, who are we here for? <laughs> There's two men in the bank. Two men. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: then once they tell them who they are, everybody sets up. <laughs> and then you have Newman and, and Redford when they ask. And I can't remember the name of the the cop that the, the, they think it might be. Woodcock. Is that it? I think it is. No, no is it?
0: I don't think so.
1: It's a sheriff anyways. Yeah. The one that's been following them all along in the white hat and thinking, oh, did you see him out there? No. Okay, good. I thought we were in trouble. <laughs> Famous last line. <laughs> Words. <laughs> But this is, again, one of those where, like the the other movies we've discussed, so much of it is about the relationship between the characters. So when you are seeing the three of them on the road together and in Bolivia, and how this is changing Catherine Ross's character as well, and to the point where she eventually decides she doesn't want to see Redford dying, So she's actually going to go back to America ahead. She says ahead, but you know as they're discussing it that she pretty much knows she's never going to see them again. That's going to be their end. Profound moments between these characters throughout the, the entire movie.
0: Yeah, it's... The movie would have been very different without her. I think if it was just the buddy movie... It would have been fun, but it wouldn't have been anywhere near as powerful or long-lasting. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And this was actually – the Butch's real-life sister actually visited the set often while she was – while the the movie was filming. And she actually told them that – she told them stories and whatnot, but she told them how she felt that this was quite real to – the stories that Butch had told her as well as Butch, the character as well. So, I mean, there's bound to be, you know, leeways for exaggeration and whatnot, but it's kind of funny to think about that time and how something like this, like these things occurred, like these, these guys stopping trains and blowing up safes with dynamite. It's not that long ago that this
0: type of thing actually happened. Yeah. It's like, you know, less than 200 years. (laughs) And and that's the interesting thing. You look back on it and as much as you love Butch and Sundance, they're never good guys. Like there's in in any other movie, they would be the villains because, you know, they're stealing people's payroll and, you know, you think, you know, okay, you know, it's going to, Yeah, it's oh, this big company, the Union Pacific. But yeah, but it's going to pay, you know, miners and people trying to support their families. Like it's such an, it's such a funny thing when you look back on it. They're like, no, these are technically the bad guys. They just happen to be really charismatic. Yeah,
1: yeah. When you see them blowing up the train, uh, I can't remember if it was the first time or the second time. And you have the guy that's not opening the the door for them to let them in. (laughs) And he was saying, if it was my money, you're the one person I'd want to steal. (laughs) <laughs> but it's not my money, and uh, that's Woodcock, yeah, that's the guy, yeah, <laughs> it's like, I give it to you but but yeah, it's the the two are extremely charismatic, that's one of the things they said too about the guy who plays, ah the guy that he has the fight with, the big massive guy, yeah, that they portray as just as big lummix, in reality was actually very smart and just basically a mass murderer too, kind of thing. He just killed anybody in his wake, but he actually was nothing near the idiot that they portrayed him in the show. So again, it's one of those films that if you haven't watched it, you owe it to yourself to watch it. All three of these films, basically damn near any Newman film, but for me, definitely these three. Yeah,
0: so they, these are, American classics for a reason. You know, they're not just popular movies at the time. They they hold up years later, yeah. and th- these are the movies that people will be learning about in film school when they're trying to make their own. So yeah, they, they they absolutely stand up thirty, forty years later. Yeah,
1: and one of these episodes we will be doing the sting for sure. It is. Okay. I'm I'm very happy to know that it's one of your favorites. It has always been one of my favorites as well. It's the the acting, the story, and I've always liked a good sting movie as well and this is we've talked about it so
0: many times on other shows
1: it's the sting movie so yeah we will definitely cover that however for our next two episodes we're going to be doing another two-parter as we did with the X-Men except it's going to be with another extremely iconic character and that's Hannibal so that's going to be a blast we will be starting in a couple of weeks with the first episode and then finishing off after that. With that, make sure to check out the show notes at Popcorn Ronin. And let us know what you thought about these movies, and we will talk to you guys soon.
0: And anime reviews, please make sure to stop by popcornronan.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their Comic Book Informer podcast and Internet Dragons TV gaming videos. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Mm-hmm.